Blog Talk Radio. Hello, I'm Nancy, and you are listening to episode number nine. I've got some really cool stuff for you today. You wanted to hear more about Hector and Diana, so I'm going to read the next letters in the series of prison correspondences between a Texas State inmate and a spiritual mentor. It's all about freedom this week. Also, Kelly from Toronto wants to know what's up with her guidance system. Is it steering her towards a monogamous relationship with her boyfriend or telling her she's closed-minded and non-expansive for not wanting to engage with multiple partners, even though her boyfriend really wants it? And I've got some really good information on how your emotions work that will help you understand how it's your choice to be on an emotional roller coaster or find the sweet spot in the center. Welcome to Slightly Askew with Nancy at Noon, the show that takes an honest look into the heart of all things that shape the fabric of your entire life. And now, here's Nancy. Hello again. I had planned to talk about a different topic today, but last night I had a very intense conversation with a couple of friends, and I was shocked, literally gobsmacked, as they say over in the UK, to find out that my friends seriously believed they had no control over their feelings and emotions. I thought, are you kidding? But this isn't the type of thing that is taught in school. So I shouldn't have assumed it's general knowledge for anyone. My friends didn't think other people directly controlled how they felt, but that feelings and emotions were something that their bodies did automatically without their control, like the way the heart circulates blood or the digestive system processes food, and that their emotional system works the same way automatically responding because of circumstances or situations or the people that do things that either please them or displease them accordingly. If we looked at this from a medical perspective, it would be called voluntary or involuntary muscles. I'll give you a very brief anatomy lesson here just so you have a sort of visual of what I'm talking about because this is what I'm going to compare it to this. Skeletal muscles are considered voluntary muscles because we consciously control them. These, these muscles are connected to the bones and they operate through the somatic nervous system. Basically what that means is that the somatic nervous system is responsible for the movement of voluntary muscles, like when we walk or sit or when we stand or, you know, anytime we use our arms or legs in, in any type of movement that has to do with the skeletal system. Smooth muscles and cardiac muscles, on the other hand, are considered to be involuntary muscles. They're controlled by the autonomic nervous system. The, autonom- <laughs> the autonomic nervous system regulates the functions of our internal organs. You know, the actions that, that take place in our body that we're not consciously aware of. These muscles are responsible for things like pumping blood through our system or digesting our food and things that medical science currently says we have no control over. I think otherwise. I think medicine and science are extremely outdated, even with the progress they think they've made. They still view the body as separate parts rather than a whole, so in my opinion, there is no way they can fully understand disease or healing. And they are just starting to accept the fact that thoughts and emotions play a role in conditions such as depression. Wake up, medical researchers. You aren't going to get where you want to go by using the archaic paradigm you're stuck inside of. When you fall into a hole, you can't get out by digging the hole deeper. Well, I suppose you'll eventually end up surfacing in China somewhere. But I'm really not sure that's your destination. Oh, right. 
I momentarily forgot it's not about making people better. It's about padding the wallets of the pharmaceutical corporations so they can keep pumping us with drugs that cause worse side effects than the conditions they're supposed to cure. Heaven forbid should a cure be so simple, inexpensive, and accessible as changing your thoughts and emotions. Forgive me, I'm digressing here. Back on the point of emotional control. My friends are probably not alone in believing they have no control over their feelings and emotions. They were in agreement that they could control their thoughts, but that's as much responsibility as they were aware they had. So I'm going to tell you straight out, you are the only person who controls your emotions. It's not an involuntary action taking place inside your body without your permission. It's an unconscious action taking place without your awareness, meaning you have never been taught the steps to decide how you want to feel. And it's not about someone else making you feel angry or hurt or resentful or, on the other hand, happy or sexy or any number of feelings or emotions. No one can make you feel anything without your permission. Think about that for a moment. If you have to give others permission to make you feel a certain way, your moods are going to swing all over the place, back and forth, up and down, in and out, because it depends on how that person is feeling in the moment. If they are in a good mood, they may toss you a bone, but if they've had a bad day, they may see you as the bone and come snarling at you like an attack dog. What a crazy chaotic way to live. But guess what? That's the way most people live. And you wonder why you're depressed? You have anxiety, can't sleep at night, or get upset when someone says something unkind about you? When you understand that you are the only one in charge of how you feel, and you know the steps of feeling good, it can have huge implications for you if you're suffering from depression, anxiety, chronic fatigue, and so many other unwanted and pretty much unnecessary conditions. Being happy and being in control of your emotions slows down the cortisol that is rushing to create havoc and disease in your body. It improves your outlook on life and it helps you become more successful at anything you do. It makes you more likable because, let's face it, who wants to play with a Debbie Downer? I'm not going to take time to teach you the steps right now. That's more for a one-on-one -on -one personal session where we can deal with your specific emotional situation and concerns. What I want to get across to you now is that you are the one in control of your emotions, no one else. And if you are giving that power away, you're giving away a good chunk of your health and obviously your happiness. So thank you, Frank and Maddie, for bringing it to my attention that emotional responsibility is a concern that needs to be addressed and understood. All right, let's dive into the first question of today. Hello, lovely Nancy. Aw, that's sweet. This question keeps coming up for me, so I thought I'd see what you have to say about it. How do you know if something is not resonating or if your thinking is just off about it? If you feel bad, then that means that your thinking is off from the truth of it. For example, if a monogamous relationship feels better and more in alignment and comfortable than what seems to resonate, however, if you're challenged by your partner having another sexual partner and it doesn't feel good to you, it seems that it's your thoughts about it that make it feel bad and not resonate rather than the reality of it. How do you move forward pushing your comfort zone so you don't live closed-minded, yet at the same time follow your joy and your personal resonance? I find myself getting caught in situations where I actually don't know what I want because I feel like I constantly want to expand to where nothing bothers me. If nothing bothers me, how do I know if something isn't resonating? I just switch my thoughts to happy, joyful thoughts, but once I feel like I'm in a state of blissful ecstasy, 
There's nothing that really gets to me, but it seems like I'm ignoring taking action because I'm feeling good again. Does that make sense? What is it that I'm missing here? Thank you for all your love and support. Kelly from Toronto. Ah, thank you very much, Kelly, for your question. It's an excellent one. Let me see if I can break it down a little bit and pull out the important parts. How do you know if something is not resonating with you or if it's just your thoughts about it that are off? The example you used was that a monogamous relationship feels better to you, but you think you're stuck in a comfort zone rut and being closed-minded about this topic. Kelly, the desire to expand and be more open, loving, compassionate, and embody all those great spiritual qualities is inherent in our nature. It's about striving to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. It's about learning and growing, and part of this life process is knowing what you like, what you don't like, what you want, what you don't want. And there's nothing wrong with that. When you are on the spiritual path, it can be very confusing, and often we tend to judge ourselves harshly for not being how we think we're supposed to be. If you don't feel good about something and your thoughts are telling you the same thing, why isn't that confirmation that this is not for you? If you prefer monogamy and it doesn't feel good when your boyfriend wants to have sex with other women, why are you making yourself the bad guy? Why are you telling yourself that you may need to change your thoughts about what you prefer in a relationship to fit his desires? If you prefer one partner and your guy prefers multiple partners, if this doesn't sit well with you, move on. Don't try to change him or his desires. He's on his own path, searching for his own happiness. You need to know very clearly what you want, and when you get clear on what kind of relationship makes you feel happy, you will meet a man who wants the same things as you want. You can expand in all sorts of ways. You aren't wrong for wanting one partner, and your guy isn't wrong for wanting several partners. Being expansive is knowing what you want, trusting it, and accepting it. You just have to decide what works for you and stop judging yourself and your decisions as not being open-minded enough. Whose definition of open-minded are you listening to? Where is that clearly defined for you and by whom? Start by clearly defining your values. What's important to you? When you take time to know yourself, you won't be confused about what you want or what you don't want or whether you're being expansive or closed-minded. You'll be able to make your decisions with confidence and never second-guess or judge yourself. Ever since I was a teenager, people have tried to get me to drink and do drugs. Come on, give it a try. One drink won't hurt you. You're not going to get drunk on one drink. It helps loosen you up. Marijuana isn't really a drug. It's not like you can get addicted to it. Don't be a party pooper. There was nothing in me, not one part of me, ever had the desire to drink or do drugs. It's been a non-issue in my life, in my entire life. Not my challenge this time around. I never got caught in the mind struggle that I was being closed-minded or shutting myself off from expansion. I'm not a lesser person because I have no interest or desire to experiment with mind-altering substances. I've also never had the desire for multiple sexual partners. I'm very monogamous. It's just part of my nature, who I am, what I like. That doesn't make me closed-minded. I don't judge other people whose sexual or relationship preferences different from mine. The point is, I know very clearly what my values are, what's important to me. My friend Meninder wrote something on her Facebook page this week that really speaks to your question. She wrote, Whenever you go chasing after others, trying to make things be other than how they naturally are, then you will find yourself suddenly awakening in a deep forest without knowing where to turn. You will find yourself lost and confused. 
because you have lost touch with your own personal truth. And when this happens, you must sit down in the forest, become very still, and return to yourself. You must reach down and find yourself again before you continue walking, or else you will simply go around in circles, becoming more desperate and alone and lost. You are everything you need to be, just as you are right now. You are the center of your own life. You are the beacon that shines and shows the way. Be glad when others walk beside you. Enjoy their company. Connect as closely and deeply as you can. But always, always shine your own light and walk your own path and allow them to do the same. When life makes no sense, you must withdraw to the sanctuary within. Only in a state of peace will you know what you must do. You'll know you've made the right decision when there is peace in your heart. Stop listening to what the world says you should do. Start listening to your own heart. There are some things in life that just don't make sense no matter how much you think about them. At some point, you have to let them go and have faith that they happen for a reason. There are only a few people in this world who will understand and stay completely true to you, and you should be one of them. Listen to your own voice, your own soul. Too many people listen to the noise of the world instead of themselves. Deep inside, you know what you want. Let no one decide that for you. Don't settle. Either they will wake up to the fact that you are worth more, or you will. That was very beautifully written, Meninder. Thank you very much for letting me share it with uh, with Kelly today. So, so to answer the next part of your question, I totally get that you want to expand or grow to the point where nothing bothers you. That's what it's about, ending suffering. And I get how great it feels after meditation and how everything is good. But being conscious on the spiritual path does not mean being naive or stupid or letting all your wisdom fly out the window. You may feel blissful and loving of everyone at those moments, but your meditation did not change the other person who may be treating you poorly or that sent you into meditation so you could tolerate them or their behavior in the first place. I don't know how many times I was blindsided and knocked to the ground because I was feeling exactly how you felt after meditation. Use your wisdom at all times and guard your heart. Your heart is very precious. You need to take great care of it. You wouldn't leave a child alone in the wilderness, subjected to turbulent weather, hungry animals, poisonous plants, and biting insects. So don't leave your heart exposed to predators. Predators come in all shapes and forms of energy. The predators you seem to be dealing with are confusion, self-doubt, and ignorance. And ignorance in this case meaning that you do not know yourself well enough to be firmly grounded in your values. So, Kelly, it sounds like you are lost in the middle of that forest. What do you think about sitting down and tuning out the noise of the world so you can find your own truth? Let me know how it goes and what you discover about yourself. And again, thank you very much for your question. All right, let's move on. You've been telling me you want to hear more about Hector and Diana, so I'm going to open that door a little bit wider today and give you another glimpse into this unusual prisoner-mentor relationship. It starts with a Christmas card from Hector. December 27, 2011. Dear Diana, I did receive your letter. We'll respond back to you soon. I'd just like to wish you a Merry Christmas. I'm not sure if we're allowed to do this, so I hope you get this card. This is my favorite time of year, even though I'm in prison. I can always remember the ones I did enjoy when I was out. The closest to seeing it is on TV when they play the Christmas movies. I hope that you and your loved ones have a peaceful and a great Christmas this holiday. I appreciate you for helping me on my journey to inner peace. I promise to write you this week so we can continue where we left off. 
Thank you, Diana. I really mean it. Sincerely, Hector. Okay, we are going to take a really short little break, and I will be back to read my response. Today's ditties are all about art and artists. Did you know that Dr. Seuss had a room in his house full of crazy hats? Yeah, he kept them hidden behind a bookshelf, and when his guests came over for dinner parties and whatnot, he would put hats on them and ask them to embody that character for the evening. He used his hat collection to take on new personas and overcome creative blocks. See, dressing up as a kid is very important for later in life. In addition to his commercial artwork, he was also a prolific painter and sculptor. His unorthodox taxidermy sculptures were inspired by what he imagined animals would want to be reincarnated as. Fact number two, many of you probably know that the famous painter Monet uh, was one of the founders of the Impressionist movement, but did you know his father wanted him to become a grocer and not a painter? Just goes to show that although our parents want the very best for us, they don't always know what the very best is. Way to go, Monet, for sticking with your dreams. And my last fun fact of the day is about an artist named Tom Friedman who created a work of art called A Curse. To give you a visual, it just looks like a white pedestal box about three feet tall by about one foot wide. The fun part of this is that he hired a professional witch to put a curse on the air above the pedestal box. I'm curious what will happen when the pedestal part of the artwork is removed from the gallery where it's currently on display. Does the curse just hang in limbo in the air? Does someone call back that witch to remove the curse? What if she's not available? Do you get a different witch? Can any witch remove another witch's curse? How does anyone know if the curse worked? And what was it supposed to do? What if someone bought Friedman's art piece? Does the curse go with it? How do you transport a curse? And how much do you pay for it? It's all very fascinating and a great work of art because it left me wondering, and I shall probably think about it often throughout the rest of my life. And that's all the fun facts we have for today, folks. We now return to the regular scheduled programming. All right, we are back, and I am going to read Diana's response to Hector's Christmas card. January 3rd, 2012. Happy New Year, Hector. Hope all is well with you. You are doing well staying on the path. I'm very proud of you. This year will be better than all the rest put together. Thank you so much for the Christmas card and the words you wrote. It was very thoughtful of you to send me holiday greetings. I visited my family during the holidays and only returned home a few days ago. I didn't get a chance to send you a card, but I was thinking about you and sending you blessings during the holidays. Today I wanted to write about freedom. My approach to freedom is a little different than what people generally consider as freedom. Happiness, joy, and bliss come from the inside. It's easy for a person to live a spiritual life when he or she lives in a beautiful home, in a safe area with good health, plenty of food and luxuries all around them. The challenges are few. But to live in a place where you know there is something better out there, it ups your spiritual game. It presents us with unlimited opportunities to grow. You, Hector, are in an ideal location to really practice what you are learning. Health issues also present us with opportunities to grow. All the money in the world, fine cars, luxury vacations, state-of-the-art toys and gadgets means nothing if a person has a disease or crippling illness. When a person has serious pains or sickness, he or she would gladly give away all their material possessions just to have their health back. It's the same thing with confinement. If you had a choice, would you give away all your material possessions just to have your freedom? That is because freedom is what we are all seeking. We all think we're looking for a different type of freedom. Poor people want freedom from poverty. Sick people want freedom from illness. 
High school kids want freedom from their parents and being bullied. People in Canada want freedom from the cold, and people in the tropics want freedom from the heat and bugs. People in bad relationships want freedom from heartache. People in prison want freedom from confinement. We all think the freedom we're looking for comes from somewhere outside. Married people think that when they get a divorce, their heartache will end, and when they find their true soulmate, they'll be happy again. People who struggle financially think that if they could just get enough money to pay the bills, they can breathe easy once again. Teens who are being threatened and beaten up in school think that if they change schools or be free from bullies, they won't have to live in fear anymore. These types of freedoms are transitional and temporary. They are surface-level freedoms that will not last. They come from hoping the outside circumstances will change. True freedom comes only when we totally accept everything. To accept does not mean we have to like it. It doesn't mean we have to welcome or, or invite something unpleasant into our lives. It simply means we have to acknowledge and make peace with the existence of everything. War exists. The majority of people don't want war, but it does us no good to deny its existence. Physical pain exists. Again, it does no good to deny we have pain. We have all had a cut or a bruise or even more serious pain. It's not like we say, I've never been hurt or everyone in the world loves each other and lives in peace and harmony. We know those statements are not true, so it's not like we are denying war or pain or anything unpleasant. But here's the tricky part. When we don't accept them, we are in a state of denial. And when we are in a state of denial, we are not free. We can never attain that freedom we all seek if we deny even one thing in life. This knowledge is not easy to understand. Let me see if I can give you a real-life experience to make it clearer. A few years ago, my mom fell and broke her left hip bone, and she has been having a lot of pain in her hip ever since. But recently, it's gotten worse, and it's very difficult for her to walk. She isn't denying that she has pain, obviously. How can you deny it when you're constantly hurting and your quality of life has changed? But she is not accepting the pain. She is trying everything to rid it from her body and heal. She has tried herbal remedies to improve circulation and joint pain. She's gone to the chiropractor, doctors, gotten massages to loosen the muscles. She prays and has gone to special naturopathic practitioners. It's all helped ease the pain slightly, but none of it lasts. She recently found out that the pain is caused because she has no cartilage surrounding the bones in her hip. You can imagine the kind of pain she is actually enduring with bone rubbing on bone every time she moves her leg. So what is my mom not accepting that is keeping her from being blissful and having freedom from pain? She's not accepting her pain. She acknowledges it, but she does not accept it as part of her body. It's a foreigner to her, something that should not be there, something that needs to be gotten rid of, eradicated, something she doesn't want. Most people treat disease as foreign that should not be part of their bodies or their lives. But until we accept it as part of us, it will not go away. I use disease and pain as an example here, but we can replace that example with anything we are not accepting. It will be a good exercise for you, if you want, to contemplate one or two things that you are not accepting in your life. It can be something small or big. Jesus accepted everything. Only when he accepted was he able to help people, heal people, and make positive changes. There are lots of changes that need to take place in the world today. We can only make progress by accepting the things we don't like and don't want and befriending them. Actor, this may not seem like yoga or meditation, but spiritual knowledge is just as vitally important as yoga and meditation. The three of them go hand in hand. There's so much to write about. I have good intentions to write shorter letters more often so you don't have to wait as long. Just know that if there is ever a time lag between correspondences, I have not forgotten or abandoned you. 
Keep up the good work and let me know how things are going. Let me know how anything is going, even if it's not related to yoga or meditation. I have ways to put a spiritual light on everything in order to grow and evolve. I also have the ability to bless people near or far. The energy of the blessing does not come from me. It comes from a higher source. Please let me know if you would like to receive blessings to help you on your journey, and I can make it part of my regular spiritual practice. In peace, Diana. P.S. The coordinator of the Feast for the Soul let me know that you sent another letter to me. I have not received it yet at the time of sending this letter. I will probably receive it in a day or so. Just wanted to let you know in case you had questions that I did not answer. I think I have time left to read Hector's response back to Diana. Let's see how far I get. January fifteenth, two 2012 Dear Diana, I received your letter. I'm very glad the Christmas card I sent you wasn't expected. I hope you enjoyed this past Christmas with your family. As for myself, well, I got a visit from my mom, my brother, and it was great. I actually got the chance to tell them about you. I told them about the program and our first two letters. I was telling my mom that I had opened up to you and how you responded to that. That's the part I mainly wanted them to hear, how I was divided and have no inner peace. My mom just nodded her head. I was telling them how I only know your first name and had no clue as to where you're from or where you live and how knowing that we'll never meet made things easier for me to open up to you. I said you're going to help me, and it's just a feeling that I feel, mainly because I feel you understand why I feel the way I feel. So I got to share that with them. I also got to see my two kids. I have a girl who's seven, her name is Melanie, and a son who is five. His name is Getsamini, pronounced like saying, get some money, smile, because it was my idea. Also, I wasn't going to tell you, but the main reason I've felt broken, I've had my share of letdowns, had had hopes and dreams shattered, and mainly a broken heart was because the mother of my two kids, we have history together, and she's had two kids, two more kids from two different guys. That's been hard to accept, but what I wasn't going to tell you was, call it coincidence, her name is Diana too, but her name only has one N and yours has two. And, well, there is no way our relationship can be saved. So, since you came with the topic of freedom, I brought this to the table so you can help me through this. I have no control of nothing. It was right on time on the things you wrote about, and I've read over your letter several of times to keep in mind the things you said about accepting it and acknowledging it. I thought about it too. I can still continue to ignore her letters and never respond back, or I can accept this and do what? So, there's what I need the help with. Accepting it and then what? I still feel love for her because she's the mother of my kids. But at the same time, I feel anger, hate, and I feel I truly deserve better. I could have dealt or forgave her for the first baby, but for the second one puts me in a situation where I ask myself, if I had two other kids with two different girls, would she still want to make our relationship work and save it? I truly don't believe she would. But first, I truly have to accept this. Like, accept it for real? How do I begin to accept this? Explain that to me and help me see where I'm wrong. Also, do you think I'm in the wrong for ignoring her letters? I wanted to just get over her and forget her for good. The do's and don'ts you can tell me, but mainly I want you to be real blunt with me. I'm not going to get mad, okay? So please be real blunt with me. As you see, today was day number one with my commitment. I want to share with you that I was doing my yoga exercise. I had asked a friend to let me borrow a book that shows a lot of exercises. So I seen the easy one named Sun Salutations. I got up at 1.30 a.m. since we eat breakfast at 3 a.m. I give myself 30 minutes to wash up and fix myself so I can do my yoga. 
I started at COM with position number one, went through it, but when I got to 11 and worked my way to the last position 12, I stumbled. It was not a stumble physically, but my brain. I don't know, I can't describe it, but everything I seen kind of like faded in and out, and I just managed to get to my bunk and managed to sit down. After I realized what happened, I was like, WTF? What was that? I must have done something wrong. I don't know, but I did it again, but more slower, and didn't lose conscience of what I was doing, and came to 11, going on to 12. I just said to myself, relax, but I felt that I had almost went into it again. It's like a rush, not like a rush high. It kind of reminded me of something I used to do with my brothers as a kid, where we'll bend over, inhale, exhale deep about six times and come up and put our arms as if blocking our chest. And one of my brothers would push on my chest and I'd fall out. And when I'd come back to conscience, the coming back to conscience part reminded me of what happened with the exercise. Has that happened to you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, after that, I did my meditation and couldn't get that out of my mind. I'm going to continue tomorrow and count my day two into the commitment and slow it down a little more to see what happens. Well, we have just started the 40 days. I hope you're participating. I think you are. So if you are, let's remember, it's commitment. Very important. You asked me if it was okay to send me blessings to help me on my journey. If you know it's helpful, I'm okay with it. How do you do it? Just curious. Well, I'm new to all this, but I'm really enjoying it. I start the day thinking how many people are participating and how every hour that passes someone is sticking to their commitment, knowing it's not just me as a push. Well, it's a great feeling. I'll go ahead and send this out your way. Thank you, Diana. Don't forget to remember me, Hector. P.S. I'll write again, okay? That's it for today. If you've missed any of my weekly shows, you can find them all in my archive at nancy at nancyatnoon.com. Until next time, my friends, keep it real and keep it responsible. Thanks for joining us again on Slightly Askew with Nancy at Noon. We've enjoyed your company and hope it's been fun for you, too. If you like what you're hearing, please share us with your friends and family because, well, they might like us, too. You can find us online at nancyatnoon.com. We've got fascinating blog posts, recipes, self-help books, weight loss CDs, coaching programs, art, jewelry, and all kinds of other cool stuff. Go ahead and check us out. NancyAtNoon.com. You'll be glad you did.